The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rand. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, take to the streets of Jersey City with Ms. Marvel, take to the streaming service for Harley Quinn, and take Marvel's numbering schemes with a grain of salt. Comics, movies, cartoons, nerdery, disco pants, and haircuts. This place has everything. We'd especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on a mission from Grodd, and it's on the air. Welcome to issue 993 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out. Look, Rand is back, everyone. Hello, Rand. And I've got an orange whip. Oh, nice. A lot of space in this mall, man. A lot of space. Uh, uh, Rand is kind enough to share his time with us this week. So um, we'll get to uh, to more stuff from Rand here in just a moment. But first, how about we just take care of some news? Boom. The news is in, my friends. Will Eisner's classic graphic novel, A Contract with God, is getting an adaptation. And while you sit there and you think, wow, is it a movie? Is it a TV series? All that could be cool. A company called TEG Plus has acquired the rights to a contract with God for a Broadway musical. Uh, According to the reports for Variety, a contract with God, the musical, will feature new and original songs written by Sam Hollander, Lisa Loeb, Mattis Yahoo, Ryan Miller, and Jill Solbule, who I believe kissed a girl and liked it. Uh, A contract with God is commonly recognized as the very first graphic novel in the official sense in history. It was published in 1978 and basically takes on four stories that kind of interweave back and forth the lives of New Yorkers living in a tenement house, many of whom are Jewish or immigrants or Jewish immigrants. So I kind of think that's the perfect place for it is on the Broadway. Okay. Rodrigo, you have thoughts? Is it possible that they thought that they were actually licensing uh, Running Up a Hill, a deal with God, since it got so popular <laughs> after Stranger Things? And then it they is, just ended up with this. <laughs> it is entirely possible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would have gotten Kate Bush to do the music. <laughs> yeah. You know, they may have mistaken Lisa Loeb for Kate Bush. <laughs> because i mean if you take away if you if you like take the the like the new romantic makeup you, and replace it with 90s horn rims if you take and, lisa Loeb's glasses off she gets blurry and you can't tell that's who true it is right <laughs> and modest yahoo actually looks like god i don't know what modest yahoo looks like I, I don't know what god looks like i just thought that would be a funny joke now i'm probably going to be like people attacking me uh, well, I uh, will yeah, say yeah. though, I, I, I'm very excited that Jill Solbule is involved because I do think she's an absolutely brilliant songwriter. There you go. And so I think uh, you know, I feel like she was, you know, her her career was. Uh, she's one of many people who's, uh, even though she had that one hit wonder thing, and that's mm-hmm. why everyone knows her name. But I think in a lot of ways her career was damaged by that because most of yeah. her material has very little to do with that one song that everyone knows. Yep. Same thing happened to the what if, what if God were one of us lady. You know, they're like, hey, this is this song is no, it has nothing to do with that. All right. Uh, anything and everything having to do with HBO Max seems to be up in the air these days uh, with fans not knowing if their favorite show is going to be canceled or renewed. Well, dear spoilerites, good news. If you're a fan of the Harley Quinn animated series, you can breathe a sigh of relief for now. 
because HBO has renewed the show for a fourth season. In addition to the renewal notice, Sarah Peters, who has been writing for the show since season one, has been promoted to executive producer and showrunner for this fourth season. Um, I am curious as to how this particular show fits into the uh, into the tags that uh, that Zaslav has said that who their who their audience is, because I think that the his SEO branded flair of what HBO Max should be. The Venn diagram of Harley Quinn fans uh, doesn't overlap very much is my is my view. So I don't know. This is an interesting development. Any thoughts? I feel like, um, first of all, it has to be said that uh, his discussion of Venn diagrams, he was talking out of his hat. But more importantly, I feel like Harley Quinn is a thing. And I feel like Harley Quinn being a thing, whether you say, oh, this is DC's Deadpool, which I hear all the time and I'm so sick of. Or if you just say, you know, this is something that allows these quote unquote comic book characters to access audiences that a lot of comic stories don't you know you get kind of a younger audience you get kind of a more female you get the lgbtqia audiences you do get a lot of things that you wouldn't get from a gotham or you know an episode of the flash on the and, if, CW, and if you so. look at and if you look at zav's laws tags of who they think that their audience is it isn't any of those people that you mentioned matthew well yeah but again talking on his hat uh, yeah, well and 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 results are results, right? It's yeah, it's a popular sure. show. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So good on you, Harley Quinn. Rodrigo, Never wrap up our capitals. news segment for us, please. Okay. Uh, if you haven't seen the Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers animated movie that landed on Disney Plus, you might want to reconsider as the movie won an Emmy Award this past <gasps> weekend. Oh my God. Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, which blends classic animation, CGI, and live action, became the first animated flick to win the TV movie category in 56 years. Uh, it is also the first Emmy Disney Plus has won in a top program category. Which oh, nice. I found that very surprising, but I guess costume design and special effects are not a top program category, but the you know the uh, TV movie category is a top category. So that mm-hmm. was a surprise to me. Also, if you guys haven't seen Chippendale Rescue Rangers... It's really surprisingly good. It It's funny. It's good times. Yeah, it I thought I was really impressed with it. I was just like, "Oh, this is going to be a really bad Roger Rabbit knockoff." But they actually went in places that Roger Rabbit didn't, and I think that they tackled issues in the animation industry and just in entertainment industry from today's perspective in a way that Roger Rabbit didn't. Uh and so I really thought that this was was well done. Um I think Rodrigo and I talked about it in a pre-show from a while ago. Yeah, but, uh, all, all I will say about it now is that they got away with a surprising amount. I know, right? And I do think <laughs> yeah. that this was yeah. originally supposed to be a theatrical release, but they dumped it to Disney Plus. Sure. And also, I would say, I mean, if if anyone out there is not familiar with this film, it's a Lonely Island production, you know. Yeah. So I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that like I wasn't aware of when it was first announced or whatever. You know, like I was aware that this movie was being made or or was being released on Disney, but it was wasn't until I kind of took a closer look and realized, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, yeah. chipping star never stop, never chipping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I, you know, if you like, you know, I mean, they, 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 well, they're obviously funny, talented guys and, and they, they brought a, you know, 
a lot of that to the table, but also, you know, some like knowledge and respect of the actual characters that they were working with too. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much involvement I'm sure Disney had a ton of involvement in this, but I I feel like when you watch that movie that they were just kind of like when Marvel said, sure, go ahead and do a, a Deadpool movie, you know, no one's going to care or watch it. And then it turns out to be this phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Um, you know, when you can take a hands-off approach to it, I kind of feel that's how the Emmy award winning Chippendales rescue Rangers was kind of uh, treated. So, yeah. And I, th- and, and I think we can agree. That's yeah, when it's best is when, I mean, I remember James Gunn saying that the only note he got back from his first draft of guardians of the galaxy was make it more James Gunn. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and I think that's when, you know, okay, they're, they're actually going to let me make the move. You know, they actually hired me cause they want me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's got to be a great feeling as a director and and as an audience obviously we all could appreciate that too mm-hmm. very much so and i think that's when we talk today i had a discussion with my class about uh the four truths of a director and one of them is you know be truthful to yourself but also be truthful to your audience because if someone's coming to see a and i think we use james gunn uh as an example if you're coming to see a gun movie you're coming expecting james gunn uh not something that is not in that in that category. And so I think that that's uh, right on uh, in this case. So dear listeners, that is our news segment for this show, but guess what? There's a ton of news over at MajorSpoilers.com, And we would like to hear your thoughts on anything that we've talked about this, uh, this week in the news category, uh, head over to our major spoilers, discord server. You can join the major spoilers, discord server for free. And we'd love to see you join our growing community of awesome spoilerites. If you want to join, it's super simple. All you got to do is click on the link in the show notes. It'll open up Discord. If you don't have a Discord account, create one. A new world is waiting just for you. All right. Let us do some reviews very quickly. Uh, Let's see. What do we have here on the list, Matthew? What did you have last week from Marvel Comics? Last week? Oh, wait. Wrong wrong show. Uh, Marvel Comics came out with... The puzzlingly numbered Amazing Fantasy number 1000, uh, written by everyone, art by everyone else, and priced at $7.99, but actually a package that kind of felt like a $7.99 package. We're looking at, you know, 68, 70 pages of comics. And um, it's confusing to try and celebrate the 60th anniversary of Spider Man because, and this is true, Amazing Fantasy number 15 had an indicia, the inside information, uh, saying September of 62, but a cover that said August of 62 and actually went on sale in July of 1962. But nonetheless, 60 years of Spider-Man, this issue 1000 celebrating um, 60 years of Spider-Man and seemingly based on a pretext that amazing fantasy continued and that this is literally meant to be your issue 1000. Um, we do get a story by uh, Rainbow Roll, who's currently writing She-Hulk, Jonathan Hickman. Neil Gaiman actually does a wonderful story in here uh, that's actually more about him and his meeting with Steve Ditko, but it has some really cool Spider-Man stuff in it. And of course, my favorite is uh, the Dodsons and Kurt Busiek doing a direct sequel to Amazing Fantasy number 15. Not the first story featuring Spider-Man, but the fourth story, The Man in the Mummy Case, uh, which is just a perfect Busick response. But what this really breaks down to is several different 
ways of celebrating the Spider-Man character. And if you're going to spend $7.99 on a book, I'm going to tell you, first of all, yeah, this is not a bad place to do it at all. This is five slices of meatloaf. Um, I'm going to give it to you up front because I don't want you to be frightened or surprised. But Amazing Fantasy number 1000, aside from the fact that it should have been Amazing Fantasy number 1500 uh, for, you know, for balance, really does celebrate multiple Spider-Man takes, multiple Spider-Man eras. There's a really cute story in here. I don't even want to say cute. There's a neat story in here by Dan Slott uh, featuring a 60-year-old Spider-Man who's not quite fast enough to dodge bullets. And Spider-Man and Mary Jane, who may or may not be married because you can't say that they are or aren't, have to deal with being 60. And I just, that's so neat. There are so many little bits and pieces in here that I think are great. Uh, There are a few places where people are like, I'm going to do the art like I'm Steve Ditko, or I'm going to do the art like I'm Umberto Ramos. I'm going to do the art like, you know, whatever you want to do. And you're like, boy, I don't like that. But I also understand it. And I feel like it's really, really well done. Um, I will I will give you two spoilers. One, there's a story in here that reminds me of that wonderful all-star Superman story where he keeps the girl from jumping to her doom. I think it's just amazing. Just a really amazing. Huh? That's funny because I'm funny. Um, but I also feel like if nothing else, you're going to want to be here for the last story in this particular volume because it's actually something that uh, is dedicated to uh, one of the marketing people at Marvel who passed away during the creation of this book. And it's not meant to be something directly for this book. It's actually a piece of a longer miniseries that he was working on, but it works perfectly in the context of celebrating both Spider-Man and him as a creator. And I'm just like, oh, that's incredibly touching. So again, you're going to be paying for two comic books worth, but I feel like you're definitely going to get your money's worth out of Amazing Fantasy number 1000. So long as you don't hate as much as I hate the solicitation, pretending that this is in fact the thousandth issue of Amazing Fantasy, a book which has run a grand total of 19 issues over two volumes in 60 years. Not bitter. Five slices of meatloaf, even though I'm kind of, you know, a pedant about the whole thing. How many pages is this? Is it is it seven ninety nine uh, worth of pages? Seventy. Yeah. 72. 70. 72? So it's not 70 even 80 pages. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now, yeah. It's okay. but it's seventy pages is three regular books. And at three ninety nine, seven ninety nine is basically less than the cost of two books. So you're getting three books for the cost of one point nine five. All so, right. Yeah. Thank you for that, Matthew. Uh, out this week, we got a couple of comic books. Rand, what, do you, what did you read this week? I read the first issue of the, uh, what I believe is a five-issue miniseries, The Ninjats, which is uh, based on uh, some characters that uh, Garth Ennis created for a series called Jennifer Blood that came out in, I think, 2011. Um, this is uh, it's written by Fred Van Lent, if that's how he says his name. I think it's Van Lenty. Van Lenty, yes. Yeah, I've never heard it said, I realized. And uh, that's the first time I think I've said it out loud. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, illustrated by Joseph Cooper. This is the first work I've seen from Joseph Cooper, I believe. With a uh, Cooper. <laughs> very, very, 
Thank you. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you. I am I am a fan of Fred Van Lente. Um, he's done a lot of great work. Um, he's probably best at, at uh, he has the really great ability to communicate historical and philosophical information in a very entertaining manner. Uh, he probably was uh, first came to most people's attention for his Action Philosophers series, and uh, which was uh, you know more of a nonfiction thing. And uh, then he and Greg Pak did uh, that great uh, Hercules run, Incredible Hercules together. And they've done, uh, he's done some, some really, really great stuff. Um, this, I don't know, it, it, it seems pretty far from his wheelhouse. Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's, it's really nothing special. Uh, I mean, the idea, at least in the first issue, was that like, you know, 10 women are gathered and, and they're told that only three of them will survive to become the ninjets. Uh, and and of course they immediately start killing each other. It's very battle royale. It follows that template in that you know two are killed very quickly. And you know uh, again, you know it it it's it it certainly didn't uh, blow me away. I'm you know I certainly uh, you know like if I had the issues in front of me, I might continue reading them. <laughs> um, uh, whether I will dip back for for more is is you know. Probably fifty-fifty, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, what, what wasn't it wasn't really clear whether this was a flashback or or or, or a new story. Uh, uh, you know, because in the uh, in the Jennifer Blood story, the ninjas are killed this very issue that they're introduced. <laughs> so, you know, mm. so um, you know whether this is a, the story of how they came together to only be killed in issue four of Jennifer Blood would, I guess, be you know. Uh, a joke i wouldn't i don't know i would say it would be funny but um so yeah i mean the you know the art is is pretty pedestrian frankly i mean the storytelling bones are all there um but the style isn't particularly memorable or distinctive um so yeah i mean i guess this is the definition of two and a half slices of meatloaf okay nothing wrong with that sometimes averages what you got to give a comic so uh, out this week from a blaze publishing is boogeyman number one. Uh, I don't know these, uh, creators. It looks like Matthew, uh, Salvia and D jet, uh, are the creators on this. This is an interesting premise in that. What if the boogeyman was real? What if the monsters that, that frighten little children, uh, that we say are just imaginary, make believe all in your head, you're going to grow out of it. What if they were real? And what if they were roaming the streets at night? What if, what if the boogeyman was hiding under your bed? And uh, what happens then when some other creatures of of the night break into your house and murder your mom and dad? What does the boogeyman do? Does he let them do it? Does he stop them? Does he save the child? And what is the reaction when the boogeyman who's been missing for, I don't know, 60 years or however long it's been in this story what happens when the other creatures find out that the boogeyman is still alive? What happens then? This issue, the first issue is really a lot of setup that asks those questions that set up this kind of world of these creatures that are horrible, that at some point there was a monster uprising and uh, a lot of the older uh, creatures were killed off. Nobody knows what happened to father death, the boogeyman, excuse me, in this, in this issue. And what happens when there's a kid who finds himself at the center of this conflict of monsters want to kill me, but there's a monster in my house that is saving me. Uh, I found that a very interesting premise and I found the art very fascinating. 
uh, in in how it was executed, especially things that. While you could go very gory in terms of the violence, uh, you know, parents being murdered and everything they do, I think. I don't think that this is a kid's comic, but they do treat a lot of the more gorier elements of the of of murdering and stuff. Um, they really tone tone down the violence like you don't see people getting murdered. You do see the aftermath of it, but you don't see, you know, someone's head being cut off or someone's arm being ripped out or anything like that. Um, and so I think that that raised the book up in in quality to me. And I, and I think that if you can tell an effective, scary story without having to show the gory bits, I think that that works works out very well. Uh, so from the art side, I enjoyed this very uh, a lot from the writing side. I kind of wanted a little bit more of what was going on in this universe with the monsters. We're kind of tipped off to it, uh, but we're not given everything that we that I think we need to know. And that may be by design, which, you know, I'll, I'll give it another issue to see if they if they build upon that. But um, I really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. I'm going to give this uh, four slices of meatloaf out of five. If you want to check it out, it's from a blaze publishing. There's a link in our show notes for all these comics that we're talking about this week, in case you want to, uh, to pick one up and send a little, uh, change our way, uh, in exchange. So, uh, there you go. Four out of five slices, boogeyman number one, a blaze publishing Rodrigo. You're still jumping a few weeks ahead yeah. to, uh, to valiant entertainment, which I don't know what's going on with valiant, but my understanding is they've kind of, reduce their output to like maybe one or two titles a month right now. Yeah. It's like they've been cut up and they're only now regenerating. Yes. My, yeah. So my uh, comic for this week is bloodshot unleashed. A guy who gets cut up and regenerates. Get out of That's what I was going for. Um, yep. So bloodshot. We've, we did a bloodshot trade on the mm-hmm. show. Yep. We've talked about Bloodshot before. He's one of those guys that came out of the 90s who is like an awesome uh agent and and soldier who is part of an experiment um and he basically he's basically immortal uh, or he can regenerate from um from any sort of damage that would kill a normal person. Uh, maybe there is a way to kill him, but we haven't found it yet. Um and so this puts bloodshot in a in a weird category right kind of like what is interesting about bloodshot that isn't the same thing as deadpool or um the like the post 90s wolverine or um ripclaw or any of those guys right and I don't think that we have the answer in this book, but I think that we might hopefully get to it. Um, because in this, Bloodshot, you know, doesn't get like his family isn't threatened, or um, he doesn't get, you know, some sort of like bomb put in his head or anything like that to do something. Somebody comes to him saying, Hey, the government ma- made other bloodshot type super soldiers and all of them are horrible um Mm -hmm. they're not exactly like him they don't necessarily have the same abilities but they're all basically genetically modified slash cyborg people 
um, that were basically tried out, deemed to be too dangerous, and then put into a prison, and now they busted out of that prison. So somebody comes to him and says, hey, you need to hunt these guys down. And he's like, why? And he's like, well, because they're going to kill a lot of people. And Blotch is like, okay. You know, he just like, he's just doing it because it's the right thing to do, which is like, I feel is very rare for characters like this. Mm-hmm. Um, they often do things for personal reasons, right? Like, for like Spawn does a lot of the stuff he does because he wants to get revenge, you know, classically, obviously, by now, there's been so many issues of Spawn that he's done stuff for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, it's usually because somebody he cares about is in danger or because he wants to get revenge on somebody. But here, I mean, Bloodshot's pretty clear from this. He doesn't have to He doesn't have to do this, and he kind of chooses to do it because it's the right thing. So it's an interesting way to kick off uh, this book and, and show maybe that uh, there is a place for bloodshot in like the current comic book environment right where you know we we don't need a guy who is like so immensely competent and also can't die and also has red eyes and also has a cool haircut like we can we don't we don't need that character we can have a character who's like still a badass but maybe a little bit softer than that so i'm gonna give it three and a half slices of meatloaf art's very good um again i feel like we get we get a slight hint that this is what might be happening, mm-hmm. but it's only the first issue, so I don't want to go all in and be like, "Yep, they're turning Bloodshot into like the opposite of what he normally is." I I, I can't shot say that. blood, yeah, uh, which actually sounds worse. Mm-hmm. I so, yeah, think that's me. Three and a half. I think I reviewed this a month or so ago. They had sent me a, oh. a copy. I, I didn't publish anything on it because they were just like, "Hey, would you take a look at this for us?" And I was pleasantly surprised by, yeah. by what I saw in it. I was like, oh, this is not what I was thinking, and I'm right. not horribly offended by by what I'm seeing. So, Yeah, I mean, I will say it is bloody. It is, yeah. like, uh, gory. Mm-hmm. Two people shoot themselves in the head within the first couple pages, so trigger warning there. Uh, but after that, the, the, the comic gets cooking. Yeah. As speaking of things that are cooking, we do have over in our Discord server a comic book uh, channel where you can come in and talk about all the comics that you bought this week. Some people are over there talking about uh, old comic finds like here I picked up this 7.5 copy of this of this comic book. Other people are talking about comics that are out uh, this particular week. Uh, Jarmo actually has a comic that I'm, I might need to, to track down. It's called um, Eternot. Uh, E-T-E-R-N-A-U-T. It's an Argentinian sci-fi comic book uh, that he says is considered to be one of the, if not the most important South American comic of all time. This particular finished translated hardcover edition was crown fed last year by uh, local small publishers. I may have to track down that because just the cover that he shared over there uh, looks uh, pretty impressive. So head over to our comic book channel over on our Discord server. Uh, Also want to give a shout out to everyone who took the time to download uh, this week's show and to all the shows in the major spoilers podcast network. We're giving shout outs this week to Christian Pullman who increased their Patreon pledge and to Lucas Gordon and Eric uh, Connell who became new patrons this week. We are just waiting to give you a shout out right here on this show. And all you need to do is join our growing community of superheroes over at patreon.com slash major spoilers like to see you over in both of those places in the coming weeks because when you become a patreon member you also access secret channels 
of our Discord server. You can go in and talk about Critical Hit a week early. You can go and talk in about uh, things that are going on at Major Spoilers uh, and a bunch of other things as well. So uh, what are you waiting for? Get over there and check it out. Okay, last week we talked about Paper Girls. I thought we had a very uh, lively discussion about that. This week we're turning our attention to Ms. Marvel, No Normal from Marvel Comics, G. Willow Wilson and Adrian uh, Alfana uh, doing the art on that one. This one is kind of the basis for the Ms. Marvel series that uh, just did its run, concluded its run a few weeks ago over on uh, the Disney Plus channel. And so we're going to take a dive into this comic and see what we thought. So, Rand, what did you think? Oh, I'm, I I loved it. This I have to admit, this was a reread for me. Ah, okay. I was reading these issues as they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was on board from the very beginning. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's great stuff all around. It looks great. Uh, you know, let, I, let me also mention, uh, Ian Herring does some great coloring, uh, not typical, uh, hues, honestly, but, mm-hmm. but, but it looks great. And, uh, this is one of the books where I feel you really need to shout out the editor. Asana Aminat did so much work on the front end to create, these characters and to work with you, Willow Wilson to, you know, um, to make this work. Um, I feel, you know, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, the success, you know, I think that, that the editor of this book was as responsible for the success of the book as any other, anyone else could be. Mm-hmm. I think, and again, this is something that we don't normally see in comic books where someone's religion plays an important role in who the character is and what they can do what they can't do, what they want to do in this. And so I find that, I think that I find that very fascinating. Um, in this, and what's in this great book is that well. it's, it allows, you know, like it uses that, you know, that, that layer to tell a, a very, a story that ultimately the reader is, you know, a new reader will be able to plug into it immediately, but a seasoned reader of Marvel comics, it's, it's, very similar to the Peter Parker Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, it, and I think that that's, you know, part of the genius of it uh, that, you know, rather than, uh, you know, it's not trying to reinvent what makes the Marvel hero work. It's just reframing it in a way that it might reach people that wouldn't otherwise be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of important too, especially when, I think when you're, when you're talking about a Muslim superhero, I think that that is something that for a lot of readers might be a turnoff for them, but I found it endlessly fascinating because of the uh, inherent problems that it creates with her trying to come to grips with her as a woman in the Muslim community and as a female superhero at the same time. And I found that discussion that was in there very eye opening on a number of different levels. Absolutely. And I love how, you know, in these issues and in the, in the TV show as well, you know, that they, you know, all the scenes that take place, uh, you know, away from the superhero tropes, you know, the scenes mm-hmm. with the family in the house, mm-hmm. the scenes in, in the mosque, they're all, you know, to me, they're, they're, they're incredibly entertaining. They're, you know, they're very interesting. Uh, and, and a lot of the humor comes in those scenes. And I think that, yeah, that makes it, uh, you know, it's, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, what do you think of this, uh, of this book? Yeah, it's a reread for me, too. And I think that Rand hit one important thing right on the head, because Marvel has repeatedly tried 
to catch the Spider-Man lightning in a bottle. Uh, you know, because Nova was clearly Spider-Man. Dark Hawk was clearly, I mean, Speedball. Basically, everybody in the New Warriors uh, who wasn't Namorita was an attempt <laughs> to recapture the magic of Spider-Man. And what they've done here is done it in such a way that you didn't even realize it was coming. And I really do appreciate that. And what I find most interesting about these first, is this five issues, four or five issues? I think it's a five issues. issue run. Yeah, these first issues, Elfana is doing a very atypical style, something that you don't see, you know, in every single comic book, but it also works so well. I mean, and I, I complain all the time, Stephen and I go back and forth about, you know, whether um, the work of certain Spider-Man artists is too much. It goes too far. But I feel like this hits that perfect sweet spot right between you know, the goofy photorealism stuff that kind of kills things like Kingdom Come or things that are almost too cartoony, somehow by having elements of this that feel quote-unquote comic booky, it really makes it feel more real. It makes it feel like we're almost seeing the world through Kamala's point of view, and she's this perfectly normal kid who just happens to be totally you know, ruined by comics like so many of us are. And I think that that part of it really works. That part of it is one of my favorite bits because, you know, at the points where you'll see her in costume using her powers, her powers are intentionally by design grotesque throughout this. Mm -hmm. She wanted superpowers and she got super gross powers. And then you'll see moments where, you know, the real life stuff takes place and she's been shot on the floor of the Circle Q. Oh, that's a spoiler, by the way. And it's just completely straightforward. This is a young girl who just got hurt in a situation that she shouldn't have been in. And there's nothing unusual or superheroic or wacky about it. But then as soon as, you know, she gets up and she's like, oh, right, in human DNA, mm -hmm. we're back to more of the kind of the well, I don't, exaggerated reality. And I, I love that. don't think she talks about inhuman DNA just yet because the terraging mist that comes over the city, not everyone knows what that is. And I don't think I don't think she makes the inhuman connection in the first five issues. Does she? Does anybody remember? I don't remember. I, I, don't I mean, think does. I, I think mean, she's, they she says. Somebody says that something is inhuman, but they mean right, not right. human as opposed. But it's like, ah, uh, you know what these are, nerds. <laughs> yeah, these are the the terrigenesis. You disgusting nerds. You know. I'm curious, Rodrigo, if you remember the time when Marvel was like, oh yeah, yeah, um, we're we're mad at Fox, so yeah. we're gonna not do X Men comics. Instead, we're gonna move the Inhumans up the track to our to our mutants of the Marvel U and they did this whole Terrigen Mist thing where it got like everybody and some people got superpowers and some people didn't. Yeah. It got humanity. Yes. Yeah. It, it really, it's, it's like this like amazing, like sort of like secondary meta commentary, right. That, um, they're trying to introduce this, uh, dark skinned, uh, Muslim character, and they're like, okay, but she has to be tied to this thing because we're fighting with Fox, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So she has to be an inhuman. It's like, all right, fine. And then when they're getting ready to have her movie out, they have to be like, okay, but we can't use the original inhuman <laughs> origin because 
those because that flopped so she has to be a mutant <laughs> right we're and no it's longer like, fighting with fox yeah we yeah, own right. fox we own fox yes. now in that in that short amount of time yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel about her origin story being tied into terrigen mist uh inhuman stuff i on the one hand i'm like yeah fine whatever you know radioactive spider you know uh right. you find a you find a magical hammer of thor whatever it may be uh, you know, everybody has their different thing, but I don't know. For some reason, this feels it feels way forced than probably it it should have been in this. I, I don't know yeah. if anybody else I mean, feels that same way. Well, I was. I mean, I remember when I first when I read the first issue. Like I said, I remember I was really you know excited, and looking forward to it. I was already a fan of G. Willow Wilson's from my read her Air Vertigo series, and uh, she did a, a graphic novel called Cairo, and so I was I was you know on board. I remember getting to the end of the first issue and being very concerned because having her superpowers revealed in what at the time struck me as almost whitewashing, mm-hmm. it made me very nervous. I'm like, oh no, are they going to make her like have, you know, the white skin of Carol Danvers whenever yeah, she. To a blonde lady. Yeah, whenever she uses her superpowers, I'm like, that would be the worst possible idea. And so those of you that read the first issue, they. They move away from that very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, um, like that's a but that was a really weird beat to end first issue on, and I was overjoyed when they you know completely you know, went away from that in the in the television show. So I think that would have been catastrophic. Did you? I mean, I mean, they did definitely move away from it, but I think they also somewhat referenced it. Uh, if you st- stuck around for the end credits, oh, oh yeah. Episode. And, and the, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Like, like people are wondering what's going on there. And obviously one possibility in that post credit sequence is that that is still Kamala. Yeah. I took it as they swap places, but yeah, yeah. but I'm just saying, I thought, I felt like that was a reference to that final splash page of the first issue. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, if I had to vote, I would say that it's, it's kind of a, a, (laughs) it's like a Rick Jones, Marvell thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, You know, but, uh, but, but, but both ideas are in place, which is kind of, which is, you know, but, um, but yeah, you know, so I was, you know, and I have to say, like, as I reread it, I was, you know, being able to just jump to issue two and realize, oh, you know, you know, cool. Uh, as opposed to having to wait that month, you know, was, it mm-hmm. was less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know? that month was killer. And I remember there was a lot was of controversy. Working, yeah. I was working in a comic shop when this came out and the biggest complaints that I heard were, oh my God, they put her in that terrible costume and they made her blonde. And also her powers are weird and uncoordinated and gross looking. And I heard this from multiple people, including one of the owners of the store who, you know, I feel like probably should have known better, but you know, I'm not going to call him by name. But the, the thing about this that always felt unique, that always felt like it was something entirely different was the fact that it felt so grounded in this character's life. It felt like we were getting a look into a real person's life. And when I think about the Terragenesis thing, I kind of share Stephen's, oh my God, this again. But then I think back to things like uh, Jim Rhodes put on the, the Iron Man armor in the part in the middle of a great big uh, stupid crossover nonsense where Tony Stark was too drunk to be to Iron Man. And you know, I think about the stuff that happened when I was reading comics uh, for the first time, when I was just getting into comics, and I think about if I were 14 in 2006, or whatever year this came out, can this really be only 10 years old? 
No, it can be. Yes, uh, a lot happens. Two thousand. No. Two thousand. 10, 13? No, 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 no. This is much older than that. But if I think, uh, if, I, I think, I think Rodrigo's right. I think, um, no, 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 it couldn't be. I, no, no, yeah. No, no. I was reading things la, digitally. La, la, la. <laughs> I'm not listening. La, 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 la. So, but, so uh, wait, you, you get, you get freaked out when things happen too long ago and you get freaked out when things happen too recently. Look, everything happened in 2006 and that was 10 years ago, but more That's importantly, fair. When I came I out. Think I, about I, it. I came out in 2014, my friends. Oh dear God! Yeah, I think of being 14 in 2014, and thinking mm-hmm. about the stuff that was around you. You know, because I had a 10 year old in 2014, and I kind of feel like I don't know that I would have been bothered by the Terrigen Mist thing. I don't think that I would have necessarily been bothered by possible tie-ins or weird stuff, or you know, the bits and pieces. And, you know, I think if I were buying this and I saw the, you know, the cute Bollywood moment of Captain's Marvel America and Iron Man coming down out of the sky and singing songs to this girl, I would probably be like, what the heck is this? And then I definitely want to buy that next issue. So I kind of wonder if maybe that that Terrigen thing that really isn't, as Stephen mentioned, it isn't really even here so much as we know contextually, we know it was in the air. Right. For well, and, and again, the only reason why I bring it up is because there was the obvious we are pushing the X-Men aside and this Terrigen yeah. Mist thing appeared in so many comics yeah, right yeah. around this exact same time. Right, but cross. I think that but I think that, you know, to, uh, you know, kid who was picking it up because, hey, this is someone that looks like me. Mm-hmm. It would have just read like a radioactive spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. like like just the MacGuffin that needs to get the superpowers into the character. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I think it certainly could have but in that sense it's good because it kind of works both ways. It's the continuity hounds have something to uh, to hang hang the character on, but if you you know you don't need to get hung up on it. So yeah. I also kind of like you know, when you go back and you read this collection together, it makes sense of how that first issue ends because it's like Oh, I want to be just like Carol Danvers, blonde hair and the whole right. retro costume. It's like, well, kind of be careful what you wish for, because what happens when you get it and how do you deal with those kinds of things? I thought was really right. good. Um, uh, but, and, I, and, but I'm very happy that they said, OK, let's take it from who is who is the core of this person and how does this impact her? Mm-hmm. I really loved. Rodrigo, yeah, what were you going to say? It's. It's it's nice. It's nice to have that thing where she turns into uh, into carol danvers and then turns back because it itself is commentary saying Mm -hmm. who is there in the marvel universe for a young brown-skinned person to look up to yeah almost almost no brown people and Mm -hmm. the ones that there are often wear a full suit of armor you can't even tell right so yeah it's it when you, when you look at the whole thing it, and it, and it's interestingly something that's missing from uh from the TV show um this you know she does idolize Carol Danvers but in this sense it seems like the sort of like the show is on her side of it being like well you're right captain marvel sure is awesome whereas in this there's more nuance to it right mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. more about who does this child look up to and why? Um, and why does she do, why does she make the decisions that she does? 
um, based on living in the comics Marvel universe, which is a lot more uh, is allowed to be a little bit more complex, I think, than the TV show and movie Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Did anybody play the Avengers game, uh, the one that features Ms. Marvel as the central character? No. Mm-mm. So in that, um, she so this is what I think is very fascinating, kind of like when we look at Paper Girls and we look or when we look at Sandman and we look at the evolution of Sandman going from the comic book to the radio adaptation to the screen, uh, Paper Girls the same way going from the page to the screen. I think Ms. Marvel kind of took that same journey going from what we see here to the video game to the TV series, because in the video game, she is going to superheroes con, whatever it is. It's the same way in the TV show. Uh, she's going to go, she's going to go do cosplay. The big difference in the video game is her dad is going with her to one of the shield helicarriers where this Avengers day is taking place. And she's a big, you know, fan, fan girl, she does the cosplay. She's all into drawing uh, stuff. Her dad's very supportive of these things. And then, of course, the Terrigen Mist happens, and she gets her powers. And her dad knows. I think her dad knows about it in the video game. Um, but I, I find that her origin story gets tweaked just a little bit in the video games to include, or in the video game to include her, her fangirl and her cosplay and her superhero worship. And we sure. see that 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 part then slides into a main character development in the TV show, which I found very fascinating uh, from that aspect. Um, but did everybody here get to see the television show? Yes. I've seen the first yes. two episodes. Okay. Rand. Well, yeah, I, I, okay. I, I love it. Yeah. And, and, and so that's the other thing that I found really amazing about the television show is so much of the personal interactions, not the superhero stuff. And some of the superhero stuff, but a lot of the personal interactions are just like, to me, feel like they're literally transcribed from the page to the screen, like conversations where her dad is like, listen, beta, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do it's the conversation he's having with her on the roof of, of the house after she comes home from, from the party or getting busted and everything. The fact Mm -hmm. of, you know, the way that her brother is represented here, her best friends are represented here. I, it just feels like a really solid adaptation from a comic book to well yeah they took part of it you know and that's and that's mm-hmm. what adaptation should do you know what i mean it's like you know the the, the plot details are the least important part mm-hmm. of, of these sorts of adaptations often um you know they, they got the heart of it they got like you said i mean to me my favorite point my favorite moment in this collection that we're talking about is in issue five that conversation between uh paula and her father mm-hmm you know, when he, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and, and I think that the series just gets better after this issue. I love, uh, the, you know, when she finally has their, the dreaded conversation with Sheikh Abdullah, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, is such a wonderful conversation, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, she's built it up in her head that like it's going to be the worst moment of her life. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's such a, you know, like a breath of fresh air uh, to mm-hmm. see a religious leader portrayed, as taking their job very seriously, but not being uh, dour about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so. think that there's something to be said for, as far as I can remember, Kamala being the first lead character of one of these, you know, MCEU productions that actually debuted after the MCEU was a whole thing. 
because mm-hmm. if Iron Man came out in 2008, this book would have come out after the Avengers movie. Aye. And you have yeah. to ask yourself, how much did the storytelling of those films actually influence the comics that came after? And if we look at this and we extrapolate um, how, I, I don't know if I want to say successfully or if I necessarily want to say, you know, to, to a degree of fidelity, how, how well they took this origin and turned it into the first couple of episodes of the show, whether that's necessarily this being a character perfectly suited to adaptation, or maybe those live action portrayals actually influencing the comics to where Kamala was almost tailor-made to be adapted and to be put into something like the Marvel Cinematic Experience. So I think that's that's smart. And I think it also it also allows us to think about the fact that maybe the success of the character mm-hmm. is also tied into that, where like, you know, there was you know, like we talked about all these failed, you know, you know, Nova and all yeah. these other you know, like, uh, these these, you know, kind of well, let's create a young character that the kids can you know, mm-hmm. hey, uh, fellow and, kids, and yeah, and and you know, maybe the part of the success of this character, uh, you know, it, it you know, uh, one element of it is the fact that there were you know these millions of kids who were hungry, you know, for new superheroes because yep. of having seen all these films. Yeah. yeah, but I think that there was also at the same time a very concerted effort to uh, have different ethnicities you know, backgrounds, so, yeah. et cetera, portrayed in the comic a lot more than what had been seen. Cause I do remember at least one conversation I had with somebody talking about Marvel. So white, uh, you know, as mm-hmm. you're leading up mm-hmm. to the first Avengers movie where it's like, okay, here's Thor, here's Captain America, here's Iron Man. Yeah. Here's Bruce Banner. Here's, you know, the black widow, uh, where's, you know, where's our person of color in, in all of this uh, stuff. Right. Uh, and so, you know, Marvel did have a very long run of introducing characters, of a variety of different backgrounds, which I found very refreshing, but certainly a lot of other people did not. Um, well, those people can eat a bug. Well, they, they certainly can. Um, unfortunately, they're still around today. Um, they can eat a bug in, in uh, Tolkien. Too. And, and I, I don't know. I haven't uh, watched that yet. Uh, but I really, I really did like what Marvel did because I do think, uh, you know, when we have a, my house, we have a mixed household. Um, and I see what happens when, my wife gets to see somebody who looks like her on the screen or my kids uh, can identify with someone who is on the screen, who is like them. And so to see someone like Kamala Khan come in, who is definitely representative of a large portion of the country and the world, uh, you know, get to take the spotlight and some, some kid boy or girl gets to pick up this comic and say, Hey, that's, that's me. And here I'm struggling with these same things. I think that's really cool. And I think that's really important. And so I really, I think regardless of what certain groups will think about this, I think this was a very wise move by Marvel to try to diversify its superhero lineup um, for no other reason than just to give somebody, someone that looks like them in the comic. And so just for that reason, this is a, this is a, a great comic to pick up. Uh, and they did yeah. it right. Like they built it from the ground up with, you know, again, you're looking, you know, you're, you know, you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, like from the editor to the writer, you're dealing with, you know, Muslim women, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, you know that are, that are, are careful to create this. And I think that, yeah, it, it is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's that rare 
the right idea at the right time executed yeah. properly. Well, <laughs> and that's and I'm, and I'm right glad that's, creators. Go ahead, Rodrigo. And and that's the case, right? Um, a lot of the time, uh, it, it's like the reason why um, all of the heavy hitters that we're used to um, in Marvel Comics are white with a, a, a few black people in there is because Marvel has been throwing white characters at the wall since the beginning, right? And some of them catch on and some of them don't. And eventually, Mar- Marvel started throwing characters of color at the wall and some <laughs> of them catch on, at, but but most of them don't because the, the the characters that are already there are taking up space, right? So it's much harder for a new white character to stick. Um, so it's so much harder for a character of color to stick. So yeah, really, small. yeah, really, uh, the fact that Kamala Khan has managed to um, to stick and to resonate with fans is actually kind of amazing. And there's like mm-hmm. very few instances of it before and since that have really worked. Um, right. And I think it makes me, you know, and I think it's important that everyone kind of understand that, you know, the second layer of problem here is that when you throw a white character against the wall and it doesn't stick, it's like, Oh, that character didn't work. When you throw, uh, you know, a character of color or a female character against the wall, it doesn't stick. They're like, see, that's what happens when you try to write a Mm -hmm. comic book about, the woman character or a person of mm-hmm. color, mm-hmm. you know, every instance of failure is held against right. anyone that isn't yeah. a white man. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas when it's a white man, it's like, well, you know, it was, it was a bad character or it wasn't well executed or whatever. And um, that gets, you know, I mean, as, as tragic as it is that it took till 2014, you know, I mean, I'm glad that it happened when it happened with the people it happened with, because you, know, you may remember, you know, the first Marvel a character that was a, you know, the female Muslim Marvel superhero was dust mm-hmm. introduced in new X-Men in 2001. And Grant Morrison had big plans for that character and was told to bench her yeah, because the character came out like four months before nine 11. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, then they were there and you know, we're going to, you know, put put that character on the back burner and nothing really happened with, with dust. And while that was a, you know, was, was, you know, you know, I mean, I would have liked to see what would have happened with that character at the same time. You know, it right. would have been a female Muslim character written through the lens of a 50 yeah. year old Scottish guy, you know. <laughs> um, sure. and, you know, so you know, maybe not as uh, you know, as uh, as important or compelling as what we got here, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I mean, the same thing could be said with Miles Morales, right? I mean, uh, also you know, written by a white guy um, from his perspective. But I mean, when we look at, I think we can look at Kamala Khan, we can look at uh, black Panther and we can look at miles Morales as ones that have landed well with audiences, with readers. Yeah. Uh, are there others that we can think of off the top of our head as is oh, Riri Williams? Yeah. And uh, yeah. moon girl and devil dinosaur uh, yeah. seems to have, have done very well. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know that Marvel. Uh, so, the the and it was um, Alfona's art that reminded me uh, mm-hmm. was the Runaways, right? Or mm-hmm. Runaways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but 
but that series was never meant to be an ongoing. Right. So, right. so it, it was like sort of very like fundamentally hard for a, a relatively diverse team. I think it was like half, well, half white people, some of which are aliens, but you know what I mean? Mm. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was it was tough to get that those characters to stick, but um, Nico shows up in things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Old Lace shows up in things here and there. So uh, those characters, I, I think people like them, but they were not designed to be sort of like ongoing superhero characters, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's the danger is you get to in a shared universe after forty fifty years. You do have to have niches. You have to have an edge. And, you know, Kamala being, uh, however you want to present her, being, you know, kind of a Spider-Man archetype, but in a particular place that we've never seen, you know, being the the Muslim teenage girl. And then when you look at what then goes to the screen, when we talk about those adaptations being, you know, less niche, that's also by design. I mean, Carol Danvers didn't become Superman on on the big screen because Marvel needed a Superman. Right. It was because Carol Danvers needed to hit a kind of an archetypical point that wasn't in the Marvel universe yet. Sure. And, you know, it it kind of works. And I feel like, again, when you look at the fact that the character of Kamala Khan was able to fit into that universe and the, you know, the Marvel comic universe. And by the way, Kevin Feige, Earth 616 is not the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Stop it. Just stop it. Numbers mean something, Kevin Feige. But the fact that this character fits in both contexts on sort of the same grounding really does kind of underline how well constructed and how well thought out she is. You know, if you look at characters who, popular characters right now who've been through huge changes, but now all of a sudden are, you know, massive successes. Your Harley Quinns, your Deadpools, your Wolverines, you know, these are characters who have been a thousand different things. And apparently Ms. Marvel's only been around for eight years and God, I'm old. But in those eight years, she has remained fundamentally this character. Yeah, it is. It neat. is nice. Yeah. And it's unusual. You're right, because... um Although I think the original version of Harley Quinn won a lot of people over, it's this like sort of post um oh what Gotham what are the Batman names called? Post Arkham City, mm-hmm. Arkham, whatever, Batman version of uh Harley Quinn that's like really been like rocketed with like the pigtails yeah. and the booty shorts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and the guns and lots and lots yeah, of Yeah, and the guns and the hammers and everything, right? It, uh, it's it's that version like the character had to go through like uh, Harley Quinn has really only gone through like one tick of the wheel and is like, okay, that was successful. Uh Kamala mm-hmm. Khan has managed to basically do it without ticking. Although again, because of I, I, I feel because of like editorial shenanigans, like we could have we could have had a Kamala Khan that was very close to this, also in the part that doesn't matter as much, which is like powers and backstory. But mm-hmm. because there's all this other stuff going on, um, some of that has changed, and I think we're gonna see those changes reverberate um, mm-hmm. as these characters basically will like either move away from each other. Or, or likely, if the uh, 
TV and movie version is successful, we will see them try to pull the comic book version towards that, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that we've seen a thousand times. Yeah. Right. So bottom line uh, for everybody, uh, what'd you think of this book? Um, Matthew, why don't we start with you? Um, go by Ms. Marvel. This okay. is a really, really good book. Well-written, well-drawn, well-conceived. Uh, Rodrigo. Uh, it, it, it's a good book. Pick it up. Um, the character of Zoe is there to let you know when you're starting to, to overthink what's happening. <laughs> uh, if you are a fan of the television series on Disney plus, definitely go and pick up this, uh, pick up a couple trades actually, so that you can continue those adventures and see where Kamala go- goes. So for me, this is a, this is a really good buy recommendation. Uh, Rand, you get the final thoughts on, Ms. Marvel, uh, no, no, yeah, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, absolutely get this. Just let, yeah, this is, it collects the first five issues. Plus, uh, there was like a, a short story from the, uh, like point, point one, one issue Marvel think, Nelson, yeah. that that's there as well, which is hard to find outside of this collection. Uh, and I would say, uh, what, what you just said, Stephen, which is buy this and then immediately, you know, get this and get the next volume because, the very uh, the the storyline immediately after this is a really entertaining two part story with Wolverine, and yeah. I'm not a huge <laughs> I'm not like a huge Wolverine guy, but it's a really really good use of Wolverine in, in the in the obligatory crossover with a new character. Yeah, uh, so I, I would say absolutely yes. Also, uh, America Chavez, America Chavez, mm-hmm. and Patriot uh, are two yep. uh, new young characters of color that have been introduced in the last you know dec- decade or fifteen years. So yeah. yeah. Or five years, Matthew. Uh, okay. I'm, I don't, uh, Rand, I don't, thank you no. so much for being part of the Major Spoilers oh, no, podcast and thinking this week. Remind people, because I know some people uh, don't take notes, remind people where they can find all of your awesome stuff. Uh, all of our stuff can be found uh, at uh, in uh, at Bandcamp. Um, and, you know, I, I have to give me a second here. Yeah, it's com. Um, and also, I, let me also point out that we have a Patreon page. If you'll allow me to pitch our Patreon, yeah, sure. Um, uh, we have, uh, you know, we uh, it's it's uh, patreon.com slash ukla the mock. It's O O K L A the M O K. If you're there at the dollar level, you get access to 78 songs that are exclusive to you know that are uh, initially released through our Patreon page. Um, you can also access liner notes. Uh, you can uh, get access to, we, we do a monthly Zoom club, which is where you get to kind of hang out with Adam and I. Uh, and, and we always have special guests that, that are kind of uh, either former members or kind of people important to the UCLA story that come and answer your questions and we talk. And you could unlock out of print and exclusive albums and all sorts of fun stuff. So very nice. That out. Very, very cool. All right. Uh, thank you, dear listeners, for being part of the major spoilers experience this week. Uh, Rand will come back. I have him coming back in October as we talk about some Miles Morales stuff, because apparently there was supposed to be a movie coming out uh, Mm -hmm. at that exact same time. But, you know, uh, you plan, God laughs. Uh, uh, In the meantime, next week, we're going to be taking a look at Kaiju Max, uh, because Rodrigo demanded it. And we will also have the return of one Scott Johnson next week. He was already like, hey, you got me on the show next time, right? I'm like, yes, I do. Uh, but because Scott Johnson demanded it. That's right. Because Scott Johnson said he wanted to be back on the show. So listen, if you sent, found some value in the show, we would love for you to join our Patreon community. You can find even more fun, including the major spoilers podcast pre-show where we talked about the 30th anniversary of Batman, the animated series, uh, this week, you can find out more at patreoncom slash major spoilers. So until next time, 
Remember, dear listeners, we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's Ray Vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven Rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.